part where you forgot to turn off your notifications when you're recording an intro. Shout out to Christafari, OG, original gospel reggae band. Been around forever, man, since the 90s. Welcome back to Still Searching Podcast, guys. Josh here, checking in for another special episode, another bonus episode where we have a conversation with the guests and touch base and, and just have a great conversation. Today's guest is my boy, Alex Avila, drummer, um, justice advocate, committed his life to doing the work that he um, believes in in Thailand. So we have a, a great conversation today about um, about music, reggae, rock music, POD, justice, faith, deconstruction, reconstruction, and everything he's doing in Pattaya, Thailand. So make sure you guys follow Alex, give him a, a follow, support him. Um, if you believe in the work he's doing, reach out to him and partner with him. And um, yeah, I think that'll be dope if we can get some listeners to uh, support the homie. Thank you guys for continuing to listen to this podcast. Um, life is real, man. I know things are kind of getting back to normal again. And um, I know people are going through it. I'm going through it, if I'm being honest. I know we talk a lot about mental health. I've been I've been hella depressed, to be honest. And I'm fighting that. And I'm just re- realizing that I need to take my own vice my own advice when I talk about depression and it's okay to cry. It's okay to let it out. It's okay to be sad, but you got to move on and put one foot forward in front of the next. I know it's not easy, but we need to do it. We should be having another, uh, regular episode. It's been hard to have my co-host back in here. You know, life is just keeps happening and it's hard to get us on the same page and, carve out some time to record but um be on the lookout for another episode with um our another regular regularly regular scheduled episodes can't talk it's a little late all right guys i'm gonna drop this episode here with alex hope you guys enjoy it thanks for supporting still searching podcast we'll see you guys peace
Who's that on the drums on the on the track? We got a special guest today, guys. This is our longest uh, uh, long distance interview we've ever done. So I'm in Los Angeles, California. Well, Silmar, California. And our guest today is from the West Coast, Southern California. But he's in Thailand right now. So everybody, we got a very special guest. Longtime online friend of mine, uh, Alex Avila, also known as Jumper for a Jaw, is in the house. What's up, bro? What up? How you doing? Good here, man. Good, good, good. Dude, so I, I've known you for years, or at least online, but we've never actually met. Do you realize that? Yeah. It's like one of those things where you kind of meet cool people online and you just know like they're legit. Yeah, and if you want to age us, so I think we met on MySpace. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. No way. I can't believe it's been that long. MySpace. Dude, Little that's Tom great. Connecting people, man. Yeah. That's wild, man. So yeah, so Alex, um, thanks for coming on the show. Um, thanks for taking the time out. I know it's like two in the morning in Thailand right now, so thanks for staying up. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm stoked for this. Yeah, dude. So um, we had some technical difficulties. We had to jump over to Zoom, and I think I just let go of my like paid plan, so we might get cut off at 45. So I'll try to, I'll try to gauge it. We'll see what happens. So, um, yeah, man, tell me about yourself. Well, I mean, like I, I know about you, but give our listeners a little, a little heads up. You're from LA, you're a drummer in the music scene. I think we came across each other, like you said, on MySpace through like POD stuff. Yeah. Uh, you and I are huge POD fans and, um, grew up in church, I believe, and playing drums. I'm, I was the same way. Grew up in church playing drums, uh, all the worship teams started our own little bands stuff like that and uh so yeah let's just let's start from there so yeah i'm, I'm originally from west covina la puente uh living right on the border between the two oh, going back and forth every couple of years um yeah music has been a pretty much one of the biggest things in my life since i was very young uh always loved it always gravitated towards it uh when i had the opportunity to play it in school did it and uh and also at church um, i'm third generation ministry my grandparents are pastors my mom and dad were youth pastors and um, mm. i'm here in thailand as like a missionary doing ministry work and uh doing justice work so um yeah again got into music um did it at school did drumline did all that that fun nerdy stuff um, i was a big bander and i love it yeah and uh you know that's also right. playing drums and that's right i messed up i always want i should have joined drum like drum line and stuff <laughs> way better <laughs> well i i didn't i mean i didn't like it i wanted to play drum kit the whole time you know like but i'm, I'm glad i did it i mean i learned you know the, the i learned theory like how to play things correctly and um how to take what i learned on like a marching snare or a marching bass or tenors and apply it to the kit so are you left-handed um, it was cool yeah yeah so i play open too when i play yeah drums. yeah i noticed that because I, I you you play your hat with your left right yeah. Um, the reason for that is uh, when I was learning, I taught myself how to play drums, how to play drums. Well, okay. So, so real quick. So, so you, you're left-handed, but you play the drums right-handed. Like the drum setup is a right-handed setup. Yeah. So you, you play right. So I, I'm left-handed too. Yeah. And I taught myself too um, on a right, right-handed way. So I play right-handed yeah. right with the right hand. So, but you like did your own little, yeah, I just played open. I don't know if it was laziness or just, you know, <laughs> trying to get it done with. But yeah, the thing was, I didn't know that there was a thing as a left-handed like setup. Right. You know, I was teaching myself. So I just, yeah. 
you know, it came natural. Just, okay, you play the hat to my left and snare my right. And, um, and I just stuck with it. Like nobody ever told me it was wrong. So I just stuck with it. And, you know, I still do that today. Right. I've definitely gotten a little, you know, I've learned a lot more of doing crossover kind of stuff and it's opened up my playing a lot, but you know, yeah. A whole open drummer society, man. <laughs> That's dope. <laughs> because you got that nice, clean, always on in pocket snare pop, like, and so usually that's your dominant hand that's popping the snare, but you got it just as strong in your right hand. So props to you. Like yeah, I hear that. that's like things that I l- listen for and like, I just love it. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the best compliments I can get is just, uh, I play, play my snare with authority. So yeah, <laughs> I was the same way dude. when I used to play, like, you know, you and I were chatting the other day about old POD stuff and how Wolf used to tighten his snare up to the max dude. And like that thing was like, will crack your eardrum back in the day it was like so crisp and poppy i think that's why i gravitated sort towards certain kinds of music was because of the snare drum and i still do today yeah like a, a, a snare drum will make a break a concert for me i've been to concerts of my favorite bands and yeah. i was bored the whole time because it's like this sounds disgusting like <laughs> yeah like yeah. yo all right I don't, I don't know if they'll ever listen but what you need to tighten up that snare homie us og Please. guys Please, we want that man. old pop that crack your, your head snare <laughs> yeah you're right because I, I think one of the shows i was at that thing sounded like it was like you know like it was the 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 i don't know what it's called the little knob that was turned down that yeah. you know um i was like i was really annoyed by that too so i understand what you're saying <laughs> yeah there's another band that i really dug and they uh did a reunion show a couple years ago and their albums were like a tighter snare that's what the fans were used to and they did the reunion show and the drummer came straight out of Nashville legit and that snare sounded like paper. Yeah. So they were doing like this reggae style rock stuff, but it was like this Fleetwood no, Mac snare. I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> you keep all that, man. We want that. We want that tightness. Yeah, man. So um, so you you grew up playing drums in church. Um, so you've been like in church your entire life too, then pretty yeah, much. I mean, that was that was my again, growing up in ministry. Uh, being a PK and a grand PK, I guess, um, you know, that's been my whole life. There was a time where I stepped away from the faith. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of funny because right now we kind of have this movement of like a bunch, you know, people going through reconstruction of their belief systems and their theology and stuff. And I, you know, I'm not afraid of that stuff. I think that's vital for every person that kind of have that moment of why do you believe what you believe? Mm. Mm-hmm. Finding, you know, finding, finding out why, what, you know, beyond what you were what you were taught or what you heard and so i kind of had my own little i guess reconstruction when i was about 16 or 17 years old yeah and it came you from were stepping away the, it you came were from stepping away from the church you were ahead of the game because it feels like it's popular now you know yeah you know and, and i there's a lot of people that are sincerely do it um you know and i think there's other people that are just kind of curious about it um i think it's i think it's a good thing i think it's good for the church and again, we just got to know why we believe what we believe and then, you know, and, and why we do what we do, what, what drives our passions, yeah. you know, for sure. You know, that very exactly what you said is what started me on my journey of deconstruction and reconstruction. Like I wanted to know why I believe this, like that's exactly what you said was my line of thinking years ago too. So I was like, why, why do we do this? Like, why, why am I doing this? Why am I here? Like I do, I wanted to know more beyond what was happening in, in my little church or yeah. why, why I believe what I believe. Like, you know what I mean? I wanted to more on an intellectual level. And that's when yeah. I got into like a little more um, like 
theology, like real theology stuff, like not so much of like, you know, hearing our local preacher preach um, for, you know, an hour, like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get it, you know, because growing up in, in our, in our circles, it's like, yeah, it's a, usually it's a dude from the streets into drugs, lifestyle, crazy lifestyle. They have an encounter with God and they preach this one message of, you know, like God can change your life. Cool. All right. I've been in that my entire life. Like I grew up in this. What, like, what else is there? Like, it's the same story. There's something else to this, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like I said, and then those, those types of, you know, that art circle of churches, like I'm, I'm a church boy, man. I didn't get through yeah. getting the drugs or anything like that. So like when homeboy was sharing his testimony about, you know, being strung out and stuff, it's like, I couldn't relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, for sure. I wanted to take a, a, a much, uh, bigger like approach like a bird's eye view of like what our faith what we believe and yeah i came across some young dudes who were talking like you know the, the whole story of scripture of like this like three play act or something and like understanding like this much bigger scene of like god's kingdom and how we're in it you know what i mean a part of it not so much of our individual faith which matters um but a much bigger role that we play you know what I mean? In this yeah. long story of God, like this arc of the arc of scripture is going somewhere, you know, we're a part of the story. That's what it's like. Okay, cool. Like I can dig that. I can get into that. You know, yeah, I mean, that's kind of that whole little, that one, one or two year period of my life. That really was the shortcut to where I'm at now. That's when I really started seeking out what it looks like to do justice as a believer. Yeah. Um, and also just as a human being, because I mean, it's just a decent, it's just a decent thing to do as a person. Yeah. Beyond, you know, yeah, I feel like as a, as a believer, Christ, like that is our duty. Um, it's in the Bible. If you're going to get scriptural, you know, uh, do justice. God is clear, you know, mm-hmm. walk with God, do justice, be kind, you know, be yeah. humble. And, you know, to me, it was it, there, that whole part of my life was trying the practical way of being a believer mm. because you just going to church, wasn't cutting it, um, singing the songs, wearing the shirts, going to the conferences. And then also too, just overall the BS behind the scenes. Being a PK, I got I got to look behind closed doors of just the drama yeah. behind the scenes of oh, yeah. people, you know, fighting for power because they want to be the head pastor, and so they get upset and leave and start their own church and take out the church with them and yeah, yeah. things like that. You know, people taking money from the offering plate to buy <laughs> properties that should be going yeah. to the church and stuff like that. You know, all of that stuff. I saw all of that, and it it, it, it turned me off. You know, and and I just took a break because I was just over it. And it wasn't, and again, it wasn't one of those, you know, whoa, I backslid and got into partying and stuff. And it's, it's funny because I didn't do anything crazy. Like I'm really thankful for just stepped away. me and my siblings. Yeah. I just stepped away because the thing was, my mom was very like open with how she raised us, especially when I was a teenager. Mm. Her whole thing was, yo, you have one life, like enjoy it. Yeah. You're not meant to be shoppered by the church. Like if you want it, you're supposed to be the church. So how are you going to be the church? If you're not going to be out hanging out with your friends and stuff, how are you going to be an example and be a light? So mm-hmm. I got to go to house parties. I got to go, yeah. you know, to dances to the things that we weren't supposed to go to on Friday nights that they were preaching about at church. I got to do all of that. And I think because I had that experience, I didn't have the desire to like get crazy or anything because I went through it and yeah. I saw everybody else being dumb and stupid. So I didn't want to be. There you go. You're back. Yeah. Yeah. Lost you for a minute. One second. Wi-Fi. Right. Wi-Fi. My kids are, my I, kids I, are I, in I, school. I, yeah. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is a trip. You're in Thailand. I'm right here. The, all the kids are streaming right now. It's like, it's literally 12 o'clock right now in the afternoon. Thailand, man. Yeah. Um, But like, like, yeah, like I was saying, like, it was just, 
that was why I just took that break to figure out life. And it was also the same time I got into reggae music. And I think that's what, um, that's actually what drove me back into my beliefs. Mm. Um, you know, I, I know that we, you know, we're taught that, Jesus, you know, if you're depending on what you believe, if you're a believer, you know, Jesus is the way. And to me, like Jesus is the way to God, but I think there's a lot of ways to get to Jesus. Mm. And for me, it was reggae music, man. It was Bob Marley. Um, yeah. I remember yeah. just, I don't know what it was. I started listening to Bob. I just, I don't know what, what started or what triggered it. And when I like something, I want to research the heck out of it. And so that's yeah. what I did was that's going the to the library, way. you know, going at the time we didn't have the internet really. So like, I mean, the way we didn't have Wikipedia, so I had to go to the library and find books and then go to the how, public how library. You, how old are you? Because you're 33. saying 33. Yeah. Okay. You're, still, you're younger than me, but man, dude, I was the same way. I was the same exact way. Like let's just, let's just talk about music for a few minutes. Like, I remember like researching, like reading all of the notes in CD liners. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. I buy an album, I want to know where they recorded this at. I want to know like who mixed it. I was so into the scene, into music, like and and um, certain bands. Like I would go like drive by the studios, like oh, excellent, you know, whatever studio in North Hollywood. All right, cool. I'm gonna look it up. You know what I mean? And yeah. like back then, you had to like print out MapQuest directions back in the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And I want to yeah. know like you know, who played instruments on this track or whatever. And like, that's the stuff that I was into too. But you're right. Reggae music was huge for me too as a teenager. That's when I got into it because, um, well, because POD, POD would like always talk about their, uh, well, mainly Sonny, like his influence uh, or reggae's influence on his life. And yeah. um, so you're right. I got into Bob Marley. My dad took me to like Long Beach when I was a teenager. That's like a Bob Marley museum. Bob they had like Marley a pop-up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was, it was so dope. Like, it was like all this like dope stuff with Bob. And then from there, I got into a bunch of other cool like roots reggae, like OG legends. Um, and then fell in love with like bands like um, Steel Pulse and, you know what I mean? Stuff like that, Black Yuru yeah. and like just like just jamming out. And that was like my life to the point where my goal, like when I stepped away from the faith, I wanted to move to Jamaica and just <laughs> chill, smoke weed. You know what I mean? Read the scriptures and just live that lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to find a farm somewhere in Montego Bay and just chill. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to music. When did you get into POD? Because you that's how I think you and I connected. Yeah. Um, how old were yeah, you then? I was, I was learning how to play drums, so that was like seventh grade. It was right when Southtown came out. It's a funny story. Um, I've known about, like, I knew of them from, you know, the indie days from Brown and stuff, because I had a cousin yeah. that had a tape. He had Brown on tape. And it was cool. It was just, you know, I didn't really like rock music when he showed me it, but it was kind of cool to hear like rock music mixed with like rapping because I was listening to yeah. hip hop and, you know, R&B and you right. know, I love early, early 90s R&B, man. It's the jam. And, um, you know, so I wasn't really about rock. But then, you know, when I was learning how to play drums, the reason why I'm a pocket drummer, because I was learning how to play breakbeats first. I was playing along the hip hop tracks. Yeah. And then it got to the point where it's like, OK, I play drums. I need to listen to rock music because it has drums. And um, again, POD, I think Southtown had just dropped. And I, I mean, they were in, this is when I mean, they were in the newspaper. It was a big deal when you saw this mm -hmm. band in the newspaper because they were like Christians and stuff. And I'll never forget, I had some money to buy. I always, I would always save my money to buy CDs. Go to the Christian book. That was like one of the best days of the kid. Go to the Christian bookstore Christian and buy a new bookstore. CD. <laughs> yeah. Good old, good old Brians, man. Yeah. Um, so I'd go to the Christian bookstore, you know, and I mean, I had a lot of Carmen CDs. That was my favorite too. And, uh, <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, yeah, man. 
And I remember going to the, I don't know if you remember these, when they would have like these kiosks. You can like listen to the CD. And they had, you know, they, well, they had that, but they had oh. like a TV screen and then they had a little touch like thingy with the album covers and you touch yeah. it and it would play a clip of the music video. Okay. Yeah. So I had gone to the Christian bookstore and I saw this like, and it's crazy because this is, I, I'll, I'll be real. I feel like this is a life changing moment for me. So I go, go to the Christian bookstore. They have this kiosk. I see the POD, the Southtown cover, the full one. And I'm like, this looks crazy. Like that's a Christian yeah. cover. What? Yeah. So I hit it. And Southtown video starts playing, and I'm just seeing these dudes with tattoos and dreadlocks, and you yeah. know, you have three Mexican dudes and a black dude, and like it was just I'd never seen anything like that. And it's like heavy, yeah, and it grooves like it's grooving, you know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, I, okay, I have to buy this CD. And so I remember going to the aisle where the rock stuff was, and like they only had the, remember they did the censored version of the cover with the yeah, black it was all blacked and, yeah. out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like digging because I wanted that full cover because that full cover looked pretty dope, you know. So yeah, was, finally, after a half hour, like I tore that shelf apart, I found me a full cover. And it's just funny because like that day, it was either that CD or like some random Christian pop up. So who knows where my life trajectory would have gone had I bought the other record. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's what happened. Boys. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's pretty much what happened was I bought that CD and then I just wore it out. Listen to it all the time. I mean, my friends all knew I was the POD kid in GRI. They all knew that was my band. Like, how amazing was that album, dude? Like, that's still probably my favorite album. I will never forget pressing play and then that, uh, the intro, intro to Hollywood, that drum feel. Yeah. And it's crazy Kill. now because, like, Kill. I laugh about it because I can, I can play that record like note for note. Like, yeah. That's how much I listened. That's how much I studied it. Like, that was right. the thing, too, was I think that record happened to be a student, too. Because I just wanted to know how Love did everything. I wanted to know how the drums, why they sounded that, why his tuning was that way, why, mm -hmm. you know. So that was another thing was they that album really like pushed me into analyzing and learning how to like decipher parts in a song too. Right. Dude, it's, it's amazing to, to connect with another like person who feels the same way about the same band. Like for me, it was, it was like a life-changing experience too because I was into hip hop. My buddy Jason took me a uh, shout out to salty beats um he took me to my first pod show in 96 they were playing at the roxy this was like around brown and i never been to a rock show i was the same i was like i listen to hip-hop rap r&b same thing dude so it's like this was all new to me and you know how pod shows were back in the day they were like they were if you if you didn't experience it i don't know how to explain it but it was just like it was so old. much so raw so much energy passion it, it, it was like you're in a you were transported to another dimension and so the only other sh show that i can think of ever gone to was a bad brain show that had the same raw intensity yeah that, like of that period like the, no other dude I mean, you're I've lucky seen prince. i've seen bad. i've seen you're, prince i've seen you too like but like just that raw passion like and passion good. from the people Shit, what up what up you. good record man good album that's another <laughs> thing they also got me in the bad brains really thankful for that too Right, right. You're, you're lucky to even see Bad Brains. I never got to see Bad Brains. But, um, and I got to see him with HR. So. <laughs> nice, nice. So, I, uh, I, uh, so that was my first experience. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I've never so, – so for me, it's a much deeper connection because it was like my first rock show, the feeling that I felt. And then for me, like struggling with my faith as a teenager, as a kid, like it made me feel okay. You know what I mean? I felt like I had a community – and so I just like totally gravitated to it, immersed myself in it. 
And same thing, dude, I was the POD kid. So it was like, that was my favorite band. They still are today. Even though like there's albums that I hate, they're still my favorite band. Like we were talking about this the other night. Like they're always going to be my favorite band. Like no matter what. Look at my Spotify, my Spotify top bands for the last four years. They're like number one or two. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's so dope. But yeah. And then you were part of the street team. Uh, yeah, POV. so this is the cool thing I think about about that band too was just the community. Yeah, the whole the whole warrior community, man. Like, right. I remember the old message or, message boards back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I have, I mean, some of it's funny because like my best friends were people that I encountered on those message boards, like people that I know and have you know done life with, and um, right. you know, it's just crazy how they cultivated community. There, you know, and shout out to the Maldonados, man, because they. I mean, they're the ones that were running promotions crew and they made that thing, man. They're the ones that made it happen. Yeah. And just, you know, it's kind of funny how, you know, they, they also end up becoming some of my best friends and like family to me because of, yeah. you know, it started, started going to concert, meeting people and then you become friends right. and stuff. And, yeah, you know, and it was just really, I mean, it was a cool, such a cool thing, especially too, because I had my own band. So like by doing promotional stuff, learning, okay, how can I apply this to my own stuff? Yeah. And, were you, and, and you also, were in a, you were in a band, right? Like, like yeah, in it was, those days. Yeah, it had band to my best friends and right. you know, rock, reggae, hip hop. And we had a little bit of a following. And I honestly think a lot had to do with POD because yeah, we were working with them. And the cool thing about the guys was like Sonny would shut us out. Yeah. There'd be like I'm always remember I'm, there was like a, a MTV interview and he was like, Shout out to Zyna Waits. And it's like, <laughs> what the like, dude, yeah, we had people looking for us. We had like no music. We had like a, <laughs> a de- we had like a recording we made off of. We did on a microphone on an old Dell computer in a garage. Dude, we like you know we did the same thing at church. We were uh, my little band. We recorded at church. Like I, we <laughs> we we used to meet in the theater, and so I was I ran all the sounds. So that's why I learned sound was in church too. So yeah. our, our theater was big, so I had to run, hit record, run all the way you know to the to the stage. <laughs> you know what I mean? And get on the guitar and then we start recording. You know what I mean? And like we recorded the tape. We had like three songs. We only had we only <laughs> did like three or four songs. We played the same songs everywhere we went. Dude. It was it was so funny. <laughs> yeah, like I said, Good it was time. just fun to have those experiences. I mean, one, I get to hang out and, and work with my favorite band, but then also use what I learned from my own stuff. And I think yeah. that even now, like where my music career eventually got to, I think it started with those connections. You know, getting my name around because of, you know, hey, this guy's yeah. cool. Like, you know. Yeah. So let's fast forward to Christ the Far Eye. I now, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Did I send you something that they were auditioning drummers? If I if I can remember I think I'm like, yo, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I might I might have like shot it like or just like, hey dude, Christ Safari is like auditioning yeah. right now. So there's a there's a whole I mean this is a journey and stuff. So I actually originally auditioned for Christ Safari back in 2008, I think it was. Wow. And at the time I was actually I was playing for Dominic Valley. So I had okay. I was getting like I was getting some, you know, some work, you know, I had I was playing I toured with Paul Wright for a little bit. Um and then I played with Dominic Valley for a bit, played on his first record. And he actually is the one that talked to Mark Moore from Cars Safari. It's like, hey, I got this kid. I think he'd be good. You should try him out. You, you were young. Him. You were what? What? 18, 17? 18. I was 19, dude. It's 19, crazy. Yeah. And um, it's so funny, too, because I had just cut my locks. And here I am auditioning for like a reggae band. Like, I'll never forget <laughs> that. And uh, so, yeah. So I, I had this audition and it came down to me and Tyrone, who eventually 
became their drummer for the next oh, eight years. Yeah. 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 Shout out to Ty, man. He's one of the, the, the coolest guys coolest ever, dude. man. He's a great drummer. And I met him. Yeah. And, um, it was just between us two and, and, uh, yeah, like every, all the other drummers sitting outside after I finished my thing, were like, dude, you got it. Like you're in, you know, you're in. <laughs> and, um, I, like when I went into this, it wasn't like a make or break thing for me. It was just, I just saw it as a really awesome opportunity. Honestly, the biggest reason why I did it was to play with Solomon Jabby. <laughs> that's and I, I mean i went in there i'm like you know it's an honor to meet you guys and then i go to jabby and i'm like bro but it's an honor to meet you because jabby man if you guys don't know solomon jabby is probably the the best reggae artist you've never heard and yeah the best reggae producer you've never heard yeah like legit roots legit dub yeah and he's just he's a you know cool and guy. uh i was just happy to jam with him and we had a cool set you know the the, the rehearsal the audition went great and you know we're like hey we'll email you let you guys know and then a week later, we got emails and, you know, uh, Tyrone got the gig. And uh, yeah, I, I wasn't bummed out. I was, you know, I, I emailed Mark right away. And I was just like, hey, man, thank you so much for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And again, I was just a kid, man. This is crazy. Yeah. I got to jam with a band that I grew up listening to. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was like, thank you for the opportunity. You know, do you have any advice for me going forward? And Mark was, he replied back like quickly. And he's like, yeah, he's all, you know, there's, you know, you he gave me really good, like he said, Hey, coming out of your fields, you're rushing a little bit. Um, you, what you need to do is play to click every time you play drums, use mm. a metronome mm-hmm. every time. Sleep when you go to sleep, listen to a metronome. He's of, you know, if you do this, you'll be the best drummer that we know. Wow. You know, and, and it's kind of funny how that you know, advice paid off. You know, it, 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 I used it. I ended up using a church because we're using backing tracks. And so I always played a click and. Mm. I kept that email and then he at the end of the email he said hey he's like he goes if you we ever have a vacancy you'll be the first person that we call wow so then oh. fast forward eight years eight later, years later. <laughs> um two weeks away from coming to thailand for the first time for a six-week trip to uh learn about how to use my skills for uh, fighting trafficking and i get it's three o'clock in the morning and i get a, a facebook message from mark moore hey bro how's it going and the thing is, I knew they were auditioning. I had people, okay. I think you probably, you probably sent me something, a few people, yeah. but I kind of brushed it off because like, you I, already I knew. just kind of, yeah. well, well, the thing was, my mind, when I, when I'm focused on stuff, I get tunnel vision. And so my, yeah. my whole focus was on Thailand because I didn't want to make any commitments because I didn't know what was going to happen when I got here mm-hmm. that first trip. I didn't know if God was going to make me stay here on that first trip. So I didn't want to make plans after, you know. Um, I mean, I even quit my job at the time because I didn't know what was going to happen after those six weeks. Wow. And so I, I, you know, and, and just other, other reasons, just again, like I'm very hard headed and Mark, Mark is such a solid band leader and he's, you know, but it's his band. And so I'm also very hard headed and I can be rebellious because that's just how I am. So mm-hmm. I just didn't want to have those clashes. And, um, so I remember just kind of like, yeah, cool, cool, whatever. And then he reached out to me like personally. And at that point, it's like, I can't ignore him. Like he actually, you know, I have to talk with him and stuff. So I, I wasn't like too like stoked about it, about doing it. But then I'm like, what the heck? What's, you know, let me just call. I'll let, I'll call, let him, you know, let's yeah. see what he wants. Let's just see what, you know, what they're looking for. Um, so I called them and, uh, and it was funny because again, this, this goes into Thailand and, and what I'm doing now. Um, I had excuses. I, I made a list of excuses why I didn't want to audition or I couldn't. So like one of them was, uh, I can't, I can't audition cause I'm going to leave for six weeks. So if you need me on tour, I can't go. Like I'm going to Thailand. My church paid for God's telling me to go. 
so I can't do it. And mm. he was like, oh, no, that bro, it's cool. Like, we're already missional minded and we love the fact that you're doing that. That's one of the reasons why we like you. You're going like, that's what we're about. So no problem. We can wait for you to come back. And I'm like, shoot. OK, there's one. <laughs> and, then, and then the next thing was like, I just became the music director at my church. Um, mm. So I go to Humanity Church in Pomona, which used to be Mosaic Pomona. And they were, we were part of the whole Mosaic thing, you know, with mm. Madison. And, all that. and uh, that was just be, I just became like legit music director and. And I was like, yeah, I go, I'm also the music director of my church and I need to talk to my leadership to make sure that if, if I got this gig, they, they would be okay with me being gone all the time. Cause I just got this, you know, mm -hmm. just giving the title or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like we go to Mosaic LA. So we know how leadership works. Like no problem. You talk to your passion. And I'm just like, <laughs> there's no getting, you know, there's really no getting around this. So then yeah. it's like, okay, what, what do you, how do I do this audition? Do I need to go to studio? Do I need to record a video? And He's like, no, nah, we'll just do a video. Like, this is, he was, I'll send you an email, what you have to do. And, um, we'll, you know, and then we'll just hear, I'll hear back for you, you know? So the night before, it's really funny. The night before I flew out to Thailand, I did my audition. Um, and I remember it was so, I mean, the video, actually, I'll have to send you. I have the, the, the videos on YouTube. Like, it's there. Oh, wow. But like, I didn't have a GoPro. Like, we didn't have a, re like, we didn't have our in-ear system at the time of the church yet. So I couldn't do this crazy, legit drum cam video audition. So literally the camera I used was my iPad. Wow. I had my iPad sitting on a, on a staircase like shelf. <laughs> and then I had the tracks coming you out of like a little powered PA track. speaker. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you know, and not only that, our, our church, uh, humanity has a loft and it's art gallery in downtown Pomona. And the ceilings are super high, so it's not the greatest sound environment for loud drums. And so, like, going back, I always laugh at that video because it sounds so bad, like, you know, just by today's standards of audio quality. Like, I played great, but... And uh, and that's the thing, too, is all the, you know, that advice he gave me of, hey, learn to play a, a, a track. Well, eventually, they moved over to using backing tracks for everything. Mm. So when it came time to learn the songs, like, I knew how to you, cut a song up. I knew how to, how to section and loop stuff and, like, Cause I learned how to make backing tracks for one of my bands that I was in. Yeah. So I knew how, you know, by that point I was, that was like, I'm a pro at that. And it's just kind of funny how everything kind of came together. And so I did the video I sent it off and I prayed. I'm like, all right, God, like it's cool if I don't get it, but if I get it, cool. Like that's really where I was up. Cause again, my focus was on my Thailand trip and about three and a half weeks into the trip. Um, I get a call from Mark. Hey bro. Like, you know, what time is it over there? Can you do a Skype with us? Like, we want to talk with you. And I'm like, okay. So I do a, we did a, like a FaceTime or a Skype and the whole band's there. It's really funny. They're at Mark's house and like the whole band's there. So they're asking me a bunch of questions and I'll never forget. One of the questions that they asked was how long do you see yourself being in the band for? Mm. And I was very like honest and blunt. And I was like, I'll be honest. With you, I don't know. Like where, where I was at, at that point in my life spiritually was like, I just follow the wind and I don't mm -hmm. mean carelessly. I mean, I follow, you know, the wind, mm -hmm. like wherever the wind tells me to go, I'm going to go. And so that's kind of, I mean, that's how I got to Thailand, but that's kind of where my life was. And so if the spirit says to go, I'm going to go. And, um, so it could be, I go, it could be 10 years, it could be 20 years, it could be the rest of my life, or it could be a week. If you guys think I'm a jerk and you want to fire me. So <laughs> I just, you know, I can't give you a direct answer, but if I ever left the band, it would never be for an oppor another music opportunity. Mm. Like there's been, you know, I love Christ Safari. I love their heart. I love what they do. Um, but I know that sometimes they've gotten people that like use it as a, as a resume builder, stepping yeah. still to tour the artists. And it's like, to me, 
Like I couldn't do that. There's such a, 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 I don't know what the word is, like a different band. Like you said, they're totally like the band's purpose is mission, right? Yeah. So it's like, that's what they do. They're not a band just to like sell a bunch of records. Like they literally take their music to all parts of the world. Yeah. Um, And I I think it was, they were, again, this was vital for me where I'm at in my life now, like learning how to be a missionary. Um, But again, like I told them, you know, I would never, I'll never, if I ever leave the band, it would be for ministry, would never be for opportunity. Hmm. And they're like, all right, either we appreciate you gave us the most honest answer because I'm sure you had guys who were like, oh, I'll be in the band forever or whatever. But um, so then they hung up and then a couple hours later, I get another phone call. Hey, bro, we're in the studio. Just want to let you know that you're in. You got the gig. Nice. So uh, I was in Thailand for six weeks and then I came home for two days and then I went over to meet with the band and I played my first show with them like a week after that. Wow. Um, I had to learn like 40 songs in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was another thing was I had to learn, you know, an entire back catalog. You're right. Of I had to learn their you know and it's cool because I actually knew some of this I knew some of the stuff from the original audition and then I I mean I knew everything from the first record because like that's what I grew up listening to right so and then the fact that he was backing tracks that just made it the the process a lot faster. What's your so, favorite Christophari album? Um, I love Word Sound and Power. <laughs> I was just going to say Word Sound yeah. Power. That's my favorite one too. <laughs> it's just super raw and like all I mean those songs those were my favorite songs to play on tour. Like my yeah. eyes was my favorite song to play. Oh man, um, we're you know uh, that's a good record. Valley Decision is another good record too. Oh gee, that's from those, those, the first the first album, right? Oh no no no, that's no, the first album. Record. Yeah, yeah, Valley Decision is another good song too. So th- yeah, those are you know all those stuff was like my favorite to play. Uh, but my favorite song to play legit though was Sila, mm. just because I remember I to this day I remember the exact time that my dad had got their cassette and he was driving me to school and he said, check this out. And he put the cassette in the car and, and Sila was the first song I heard. And I was like, this is uh, weird. weird. I'd never heard reggae like that before. Yeah. And then it was Christian. And so like, I'll never, I always forget. I always get like this cool little, like uh, these little, this little, like these goosebumps and butterflies. Like uh, I'll never forget. We had a show uh, 2017 Carnival. It was Ash Wednesday. Uh, Sao Luis, Brazil, 100,000 people, and we were the headliners. Wow. And I'll never forget, like, we played Sila, and I'm just tripping because it's like, I remember being in my dad's little car, like, listening to the song, and here I am, 20 something years later, playing this exact song for 100,000 people. Like, you know, like, it's just stuff like that blows my mind, man. And, like, I just, I'm always so thankful, and so, like, I have so much gratitude, like, not only to God, but I mean, to Mark in the band for being able to have the opportunity to do stuff like that. You know, who can say, oh, I played with, I was in a band that I listened to when I was a kid. I mean, I don't know anybody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, again, like in back to Solomon Jabby, like for me, like I, 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 I fanboyed over Jabby, man. Like that, he was everybody's favorite guy in the band. And it's like, I'm playing with one of my favorite, like a guy who was in, who was a huge part to like my, that, those, that getting into reggae phase I had in my life. Right. Like, That's so you know, good. and it's now I'm in a band with him, and then I got to record with him, and like you know, and now he's like he's like him and his wife are like family to me, you know. And which album like did you play on? Um, I've done like uh, random songs. I did uh, so on the Christ Far stuff. I didn't play on any other records. A lot okay. of their stuff was done before I joined. Um, kind of their thing is you know consistency in the sound and stuff, and so I prefer doing stuff live. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I keep it in the pocket, try to keep it in the recordings as much as possible. But I also, after I, you know, have them down, like I have freedom to kind of add my touch and I just like doing the live stuff a lot. Um, but I've done stuff like we did, uh, there's another reggae artist, gentleman, gentle, not uh, gentlemen, but gentlemen, another mm-hmm. gospel reggae artist. And so I got to play in his record and Javi produced that. So that was really special. Um, and there's just like demo stuff that I've done and, you know, um, but most of my work was live, was doing the live stuff. Which was great. Again, that's that's you know I love playing drums live. I've actually preferred playing live than tracking. Yeah. To be so I, I I try to record um with what we were trying to do a worship album a long time ago. I could not as a kid just growing up playing worship music in church. I could not stay on the track <laughs> with the metronome. I just couldn't do it. Like I was always just a half second either rushing or. Like whiplash, you you rushing, or you yeah. you know what I mean, or you dragging. It's not my tempo. <laughs> yeah, it's not my tempo. Um, it was like the hardest thing to me. So I was like, man, I can't do this. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just it's a different thing when you're jamming live. But like you said, like you played to the track anyway, so it's like even live, you're on point in the pocket. And it was just cool because I mean, we were just, I mean, we honestly, we probably rehearsed twice in the entire two and a half years I was in that band. Yeah, it just you know one of the reasons why I love using backing tracks with bands and with worship teams is because it gets responsibility on the band members to learn their part. So you're not wasting time at soundcheck or rehearsal trying to teach somebody a song. Yeah, you know, and so that was the thing was I just had to listen to the song, study it. I mean, I had I learned a way how to I learned how to quickly chart out drum stuff, but also began being in drumline. That's how I learned playing the click. Mm. We had to, I mean, I have the Docker beat metronome, the Roland Docker beat, that beep is embedded in, I will hear that after I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause we were learning, you know, we were doing like the field show. So having to move, you know, move around, make formations, right. but it's like, you're on a click. And so that beep, I mean, right. that, you know, we had to move, we had to move with it. We couldn't be slower. It had to be on time because it was going to throw the whole formation off. So right. all that stuff, again, like, it's just really cool how life and how God works to kind of use all these random things together for our purposes and yeah. um, stuff that's going to happen later that might even not have to do with anything at all. So, um, but yeah, just learning the tracks and stuff. But yeah, being in Christ Fire was cool. And again, it was about two and a half years and just amazing experience going, you know, again, I'm always gracious. Like I had never left the country prior to going to Thailand that first trip. Mm. Um, I remember when I got my passport. Um, this is when, so before, when you got a passport, you had to choose between a big book or a smaller book. And so I didn't think I was going to go anywhere else because my heart was to do traffic, anti-trafficking work in LA. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't thinking international. Like I thought, okay, I'll go to Thailand and then maybe I'll go to Cabo on vacation or something. But, you know, so I had like the little, the, the short, the, there was like 15 or 20 pages of a passport. And then I get back and end up in Christ Safari. And it's like, dude. I did six continents or I did five continents in a, in a year. Like, wow. you know, I'd never left. Like, I mean, I've been to like Nevada and Arizona. Yeah. yeah. And I remember, I mean, I flew to Chicago to, to go to go with POD to Cornerstone, but that was it. And then, you know, next thing you know, I'm on a plane going to freaking Papua New Guinea. Wow. Like a place that like going to the highlands, like a place that I used to read about in National Geographic, like looking yeah. at the tribes and the animals. And it's like, I was there. I saw the animals. I got to, got to, to break bread with the tribes like you know what i mean it's amazing. just it's just amazing all those experiences that i got from you know playing reggae music and playing reggae music that had had a really cool kind of a mission and um so i'm always you know christify mark and everybody like their family for life like right and even when i left too it wasn't like a big it wasn't draw it was i remember that same night we played for a hundred thousand people i go back to the hotel 
and I was just spiritually and emotionally overwhelmed because again, this was stuff that people spoke that over me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Let's say mm-hmm. you're going to play for multitudes of people, like hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of people. And I did it. I did it. Yeah. So I was there. I was in a hotel just giving thanks and praises and, you know, talking to God. And the next thing I know, I just kind of hear this voice saying, uh, do you trust me? Do you trust me to give all this up? And I just saw the band, my, you know, my family, uh, music. And I was like, yeah, I mean, how can I say no? Uh, you know, saying yes got me here. So how can I say no? What's, you know, the next yes going to look like? And so at the time I didn't know exactly what that meant or where like I was going to go, but I just knew I was going to be going somewhere. Yeah. And, um, I kind of try to do, it was really funny. I pretty much did everything spiritually you can think of for two months, like praying, fasting, talking to pastors, talking to counselors, like what's God trying to say, trying to decipher everything. And Thailand was in my heart. It's always been in my heart. Um, But the thing was that there's something that I was always mindful of too. And that's when I was a kid, a missionary came to my church and he said, if you ever feel called to a specific nation, Make sure it's a a spiritual calling and not an emotional attachment. Because what happens is you have kids that go on mission trips and do these, you know, these cool things and go to Central America and go to Africa and they're great experiences. You know, you learn a lot about the people, the culture. Uh, It's a cool way to serve. But I mean, it's you go through emotions you never felt before. So you get this emotional attachment just because you painted a wall and believes doesn't mean you're supposed to go back there. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I was mindful at that point. I was like, cool, God, wherever you want me to go, you know, I'll go. It's kind of funny. I really don't like the song Oceans, but that's literally like what my life was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so like, yeah, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Like, I, you know, but Thailand and was like Th- that. Thailand was, that was the one. So, yeah. okay. Now, I think I might have confused myself. I connected you to somebody in Thailand. I, yes. I had some friends that were there and you ended up doing some stuff with them when you when you went to thailand in the beginning right yes so this is a cool story too so um uh, before christ Safari, it was 20 this was 2014 um i was or i i just finished i finished recording production school um and i just felt like i needed to do something how do i i needed to do justice work and i need i need to how do i take what i believe so it was a couple of things how do i take my 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 faith how do i take my passion for justice and then how to take my gift of music and put that all together in a blender. And what does that look like? And so um, I was sitting in a class one day. I went. I actually went back to school because I was going to go to try to do my music therapy degree. Because that's something I wanted to do. Like that felt like that was a way to help people with music. Um, and there, there was, you know, that was just it was something practical with music beyond just playing shows and stuff. Like yeah. it was active work. And because that's where my heart was like, how can I actually do something with my hands in justice besides just playing benefit shows? Cause we did all that. We did, you know, me and my bands did benefit shows for every nonprofit you can think of, you know, every cool number we did like the, uh, you know, we would do like the individual children and stuff like that. You know, we were helping all these causes, but it's like, to me, one of the things growing up old school church was you get your hands dirty. You don't just sit mm-hmm. in the pews. You actually do stuff. You right. stack chairs, you clean toilets, you feed yeah. people on the weekends, you know, and so that all that's always been a part of my 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 life in the church and outside of the church. And so I went back to school to do my general ed stuff because I'd already finished all my music stuff. And I was sitting in a college and career planning class, and I just had a thought to write down the words music therapy for trafficking survivors. Mm. I don't know where I mean I came from God because but it just 
wrote it in a notebook. And I was like, okay, what does this, what does this mean? Like, what is, you know, so I started seeking out things uh, like, okay, well, I don't even, I mean, I don't even know what to do with this. I don't know where to start. You know, so I would email like the Dream Center and all these different nonprofits I heard of. And it's like, oh, well, you can't work here because we don't, you know, we, this is a women's shelter. So like, we don't really, you know, it, it was, there's no opportunities as a man in this field. Right. So I was just trying, okay, what can I do? So then uh, I went to a conference in Phoenix. It was a social Christian social justice conference at a church in Phoenix. And uh, it was cool how God worked. Like I got, you know, uh, who spoke, uh, John, John Perkins was one of the speakers. Bob Goff was a speaker or McManus. Mm. Uh, Rachel Evans was there. It was a really cool mix of people. And like, it was just, it was so encouraging to me. And I really just went because I figured there's got to be someone there that can give me a lead to something. And so I went there and there was a, a anti-trafficking rescue org that had a boot set up. And so the, I got to talk to the director. He gave me a card. Um, I told him what I wanted to do. He's like, oh, you know, in Southeast Asia, there's opportunities for, you know, working with kids and teaching music and doing music therapy. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's interesting. And then literally, dude, I flew back home when you sent me that link. I had just opened up. I'll never forget that. I had just opened up my laptop. You know, like, hey, bro, like, check this out. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, and, and the thing was, this was the link you sent me. It literally said music therapy for trafficking survivors. Like, wow. that's why I, that's why I clicked apply literally word for word. That was in the link. Wow. So it wasn't I mean, it wasn't about Thailand. Like, I just signed up because it just felt right. It was I was like on my Jim Carrey. Yes, man thing there. Like, OK, yes, yes. Mm. And I didn't think I was going to like get accepted because like. I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, like, in, you know, I was looking at the social media. I'm like, oh, they're going to want these like college hipster kids, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, they're going to want, you know, the, the, the white, white girls slip, sipping on, on latte, coffee and Jesus right. tattoos. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to want this, this Chicano kid from West Cove, like, right. You know, wearing Dodger gear, like, you know, wearing, wearing tribal stuff to, uh, you know, yeah. go to Thailand and, and learn about, you know, anti trafficking stuff. But I just, I just did it. And within like a week, I had an interview. The first interview was great. They're like, oh, you're going to be a great fit in our team. And then they did a second interview a couple months later. I mean, and that's kind of it was for a six week program uh, connected with a uh, an organization in Pati, Thailand, um, a safe house for kids. And it was a six week program on how to use your gifts in that field. And then not only like we would do like practice, like classroom stuff, but then actually get to apply it by working with the children's home and then mm -hmm. working with another other nonprofits in the city that we're in. And it was great. I mean, it was a crazy experience. I mean, uh, some of my best friends I met on that trip, like the, one of the orgs that I work with here. I mean, the reason why I came to live here was because of my friends that were teaching in that program. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that was, a, you know, and again, you had a big part in that because you sent me that link. Like that was crazy. Again, like I said, it was crazy because it was word for word. Yeah, you know, it's so crazy how how God works. <laughs> yeah. So what does um? So how long you been in th in Thailand, and what does real anti trafficking work look like? Because I feel like, you know, people just throw it around. Oh, like you know, as like a like a talking point of like yeah. like using an argument against something, or but what about this? But like, yeah. what does real what does the work look like for you in Thailand? Yeah, so we have to talk a little bit about like just the. Um, okay, so I live in Pate, Thailand. Pate, Thailand is the sex tourism capital of the world. You're only here to come on business or to buy sex. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's not one red light district. The entire city is a red light district. There's all these side streets and alleys and stuff. And every, they have, we call them bars, but they're brothels. It's pretty much where you can go buy somebody. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things, you know, it's, it's interesting. The whole anti-trafficking thing is, is interesting because like we have this idea of, oh, so you go to these underground, these boarded up, like dingy, like messed up houses and you kick down doors and you grab yeah. girls out and, you know, you wear tactical gear and you, you throw smoke bombs and stuff. And, yeah. you know, and Liam Neeson's like calling your cell phone and all this stuff. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a part of, of anti-trafficking operations work that, that is a reality. Um, but what we do is a lot different and it's way more relationship building. Um, like, so it's so entire like I'm, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this. So specifically where I live, most of the women that are here working in the bars in the sex trade, they're Thai and they come from the villages and definitely they're co- coerced here and things like that. That's a big thing is, you know, one of the things that kind of annoys me is when I see, Oh, somebody was staring at my kids weird and they want to traffic my kids. It's like, nah, homeboy was just staring at your kids weird. So, you know, like kidnappings account for less than 1% of all trafficking cases. Mm. Like you can Google that stat. It's yeah. a reputable stat, but it has, you know, but there's this false idea of like, oh, they get girls and throw them in a van and then they go prostitute them. It doesn't right. work that way. That's, that's, it's way easier to coerce somebody to do what you want. Mm. Um, and the situation we have here is we have women looking for opportunity because maybe uh, there's things like they don't have lack of education. They're not able to go to university um, or their family are farmers and they, they lose their land or there's no crop or no harvest yeah. or cultural things where, the the oldest daughter is seen as the breadwinner for the family here. So if your brother and sister are sick, well, you need to go to work because I need money to buy medicine for your siblings. Right. And what ends up happening is they come here thinking, oh, you know, you can just be a waitress and serve drinks. And then they get here and they realize, yo, you have to go home, go out with these men. Yeah. Or or women or whatever. And um, it's it's a interesting thing because it's not. I I don't want to say it's not trafficking, but the the thing with the women here is they're 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 working in in the sex trade and i want to use air quotes by choice and what i mean you know by choice but if they don't have any other options is that really a choice yeah and so that's kind of the work that i'm a part of here the different uh, ngos and ministries here that's kind of our heart is to offer opportunity offer give these women a choice something else yeah yeah so yeah a lot it's almost or or, and maybe find and develop a talent yeah like i know you guys were were doing like um like a, a salon uh like hair like a hairstyling cutting music right so yeah maybe trying to help people find something that they didn't know they were good at maybe they have yeah. a gifting for and and again and then there's also is things there is the trafficking aspect of stuff where like we see african women here mm. you know so people are yeah. tra- we see i mean i remember it's just a, it's crazy how it progressed over the years. Like the first time I came here, we went to, there's a one main street and it's like, it's, it's imagine a third street promenade in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. but instead of shops, it's all nightclubs and brothels. Yeah. And like women in the windows dancing, like it's a whole street. It's crazy. It's about the size of the third street promenade. Wow. And I remember the first time we went through was crazy. The next year there was blonde hair, blue eyed women from like Russia and the, in Eastern Europe. And, you know, so those women are being trafficked here. So there is that element there. Um, there is, you know, that part of it here, but the, most of the, the situations that we deal with are 
trying to offer the the Thai women a, a chance, a choice, you know, and teach them a trade and a skill that they can provide for them and their families, and they can feel dignified. And um, so, uh, one of the orgs that I work with was Sheer Love International. That's right. That's uh, their hair hair program, really amazing. I was able to be a mentor for the men. So that's another thing too is, uh, they're one of the only programs, if the only program for men. So men are also sold here too. Mm-hmm. So that's another another kind of you know, people think it's just it's something that affects women, but there's actually just as many men in the sex trade as women. It's just not talked about as much. And uh, like here. Like part of the, one of the things that I would do is, so we would do bar outreach, which means we'd go out to the bars and we'd go and sit and just build relationships and learn about the people that work there and get to know them and actually build friendships with them, mm-hmm. you know, and try to, you know, figure out ways like, Hey, like, you know, if you don't want to do this, I got an opportunity, like you can come and learn air, you know? Um, and it's just, I mean, as a man, that was an interesting thing too. Like that was really, that's a hard thing as a man here to see other men, like their dignity and their manhood taken away from them. Yeah. Um, you know, and the thing is, it's crazy is like, so when I go, I go to the gay bars, that's where I do my outreach in, you know, because I'm, it's, we do that because one, I'm, I'm not gay. So there's, they don't have to put the facade on for me. Mm. I'm not, I'm not a, they know I'm not a John. And then when they realize like, I genuinely care about them, we get to hang out. Like it's the coolest thing when you get to just hang out with these guys, play pool, talk about soccer and they just can be guys can be, you know, they don't have to put a show on for anybody. And it's crazy because most of the men that work in the gay bars here are straight. Yeah, they're just forced into, you know, just doing what they got to do. You have to do what you got. It's survival, man. It's it's yeah. it's survival. And so it's just, it's a crazy thing, you know, that, to know that happens. But that was the cool part with Sheer Love is having a men's program. And so that's kind of where my role was, uh, was being a mentor, uh, teaching the Bible. Um, and then just, again, being here, being a bro. Um, and then also, too, for the women in our program, it was important for me to be there because it's like, they haven't had the healthiest relationships with men. Mm. So it's always really cool when it's like we have women that come through uh, through our program and it's like they can trust me. Like they, you know, they're, there's, they're like my sisters. They look at me like a brother. Yeah. You know, we can help repair a lot of that, that trauma and that stuff they've gone through by being abused by men and stuff. And so, um, so that's part of the work here. Uh, another thing is, is uh, edu- preventative work. So that's kind of where my focus is now. Um, I was on the restoration end of things of, you know, post, how to, you know, post rescue, getting people out of the the life and then teaching them for a new life. And now I'm on the front end of stuff, uh, working with kids and with the local Thai community um, and with an organization called Dayspring Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really cool because it's, lo- it's, it's Thai, it's Thai run. It's, right. It's run they're the, not, the they're not outsiders. Yeah, yeah. No. And so it's just really cool to like, to be in the community, like, I loved what we did with you. I love working with your love. They're my family for life, but I really love being able to really be in the community and like assimilating myself. Cause I think yeah. that's another thing too. Like this gets talked about with mission trips and stuff, the whole white savior stuff. Like you see that all the time. You, you have a lot. It's, it's sad when you meet missionaries that like never even attempt to learn the language. Right. And it's like, yo, we're here. Like that's, you know, there's, we love to quote the scripture and say, we're in the world, not of it, but it's like, Yo, we're in the road here, so we need to act like it. We need to mm-hmm. be a part. And what's cool at Dayspring is just being a part of the local community. And so we're working with kids, uh, teaching English, teaching music, uh, Bible lessons. Um, there's another couple other NGOs here that I give time to that I teach music. And it's just really cool because it's like we're bringing music education to places to kids that wouldn't have that opportunity to have it. Right. Um, it's Thailand's interesting because 
educate there's no public education you have to pay for school here mm. so some of the communities that i go to um you know you would call them slum communities or whatever like these kids would never have a chance to go to a music class ever ever and so wow. you know i may but i'm able to go and teach them how to play piano teach them how to read music teach them how to play drums and it's been really cool we've had a lot of awesome uh positive results in the communities and with the local government like i have a really cool rapport with the the local municipalities here because they see what i'm doing here and offering in these communities and they have actually tried to duplicate what i do in other places here so, so cool. um it's just again it's just different ends of the spectrum we're all working to fight trafficking fight exploitation um there's different sides of it and it's all it's all important you know yeah it, it's it seems like it's a much more nuanced um issue you know it's yeah. not like like you said like here in the, in the states it's like like you said it's like Oh, you know, this is fear of they're going to snatch up your kids, throw them in the van, ship them to wherever. It's much more nuanced than that. Like it's embedded in in the culture, like you said. Like and it seems like it stems from economic uh, inequalities. You know, it's like you're either forced to do this, um, or maybe you you're forced to like, or you choose to put your your child in this system. You know, and and you kind of have to like. I, I'm not saying it's right, but it's like, man, they're, they're, it seems like they're just trying to survive. It's, it's, it's totally systemic. Like one of the things that I've always kind of just thought about, like it's important. Like I think to approach missions worth, we have to be ethical about what we do. There's an ethical way to do stuff. And I think we need to, how we look at the problem, think about it. We have to think ethically. And what I mean by that is understanding how it works and how the, the dominoes fall, you know? Um, so being in this pandemic, it's crazy. Like the pandemic decimated the sex trade here in Patia. Mm. And it's a trip because people have been praying for 30, 40 years for this day. And we're here. It took it took it took a global pandemic for it to happen. And it happened wow. Wow. where they're actually repaving some of the the red light streets here and trying to wow. turn them into like legit places. It's crazy. That's wild. But the thing that's interesting though, and I always thought about this before this happened, was okay, let's say this thing ends tomorrow. Are we prepared mm. to handle it? Are the, the ministries blood. and NGOs here? Because it's not just getting women out of the bars. There's a whole system, like from the bar owner to the mamasan, which is like the, the lady pimp, mm -hmm. to the women, to the motorbike taxi guys who bring customers to the bars, to their mm -hmm. families, to their kids at their, you know, it's this whole, the food vendors, like, we're seeing that, dude. We're seeing that here. You know, they're doing food giveaways every week because nobody, there's no, there's no tourists here. There's no, um, you know, there's no jobs like, and it's, you know, I think one of the blessings and disguises with this was seeing how the ministries here, and I have to give props to every ministry that's here in Patia because they've all done the work to like, okay, how do we adapt? But we have to think that way of this, of the system, how this works. Cause it's not, it's beyond yeah. just rescuing one person. It's taking down the whole system, you know? Yeah, and again, I think that's where the, the whole reggae education comes in. You know, singing about Babylon system, and it's like seeing it in effect, right? You right, know, seeing, seeing how, how it works and stuff. So it's it's an interesting thing, like understanding how the system works, and then okay, what can we do to make sure that like we can help each part of that system when the right. time comes when it falls? You know what I mean? Right. Wow, dude, that's amazing. Um, we're actually coming up on the end of our time here, dude, but um. What do you see? Um, like, like, I love that you brought that up. What do you, what do you see happening like post pandemic? Like, what you know? What I mean, like, as far as your work there, like, 
do you think it's going to just come back like just come roaring back like all the tourists will come back and or you know what i mean is there is there uh like you said like people have been praying for this for like 30 years yeah. you know I, what i mean like, what do you think happens next i try to be optimistic when i can when it comes to just the work justice work but i also have to be a realist and i i honestly believe that it's going to get bigger after mm -hmm. this because wow. you're gonna have, I mean, we're, I mean, if you look at other things happening with pandemic, like suicides, mental health, um, being shut in, yeah, you know, so you have, an, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is right, but you're gonna have a lot of people, like that have been shut in for one, two years, you know, and they're gonna just want to go crazy after this, you know, yeah. and and yeah. that's it's not a fear, but I think we need to be prepared for that too. Like, how do we, how do we combat that too? Yeah, because while the pandemic helped shut, you know, helped um, curb the ex exploitation, because I think that's a big thing with look exploitation is exploitation, and that includes anti trafficking and uh, exploitation includes trafficking and you know all that stuff. But just how that's also coming out of it, it's also going to like that stuff's going to be on the rise because you're going to have those people, you know, with the, their stuff that hasn't been checked for a couple years. Like, yeah. Um. So that's kind of my thing is we need to be prepared for that too. Like, there's going to be a fight. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like in a in a physical kind of way, right. but we need to be ready, like how, how to, you know, to to again, we have to mobilize. How do we be effective, and how do we evolve our work? So when that if that happens, we're ready to combat it, and you know, and how can keep, uh, how it, how's it going now? So keep it going. Yeah, how can people um, like myself who care, who want to help? Um, what do we do? Like, how can we help this effort? NGOs that are on the ground, like, is, you know, how do we, how do we participate? And yeah, so I mean, the, I already know the answer. It's pretty much yeah, yeah. your money where your mouth is, but. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> kind of the, if you want to get churchy, you go send or give. Yeah. Um, we, you know, it costs money to, to, to be here, um, you know, to do what we do. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and, and, and I think you have, I want to see, you have to go behind hashtags. Mm -hmm. We saw the whole QAnon save the children thing. Everybody was saying save the children, but what do you mean? What does that mean? Yeah. You know, and it's like you need to you need to educate yourself and partner with people that are doing the work. If you want to say hashtag save the children, partner with people. Give time, give money. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like give resources. Um, you know, there's there's in America you can look up Polaris. Polaris is like the main anti-trafficking authority in the US. Um, there's, you know, a 21, there's the end it movement. Um, I, those are great. And I think, I think, uh, I think awareness is, is important. I mean, it's how you find out about stuff, but I think it's even more important to find NGOs that are actually on the ground doing the work because that's yeah. where the needs at. Yeah. We don't need more. We have enough bumper stickers and t-shirts and those are great, but you, you know, it's enough awareness. It's time to put action, you know? Right. And again, find, you know, find shelters, find there's tons. If you live in LA, the dream center has an amazing, uh, shelter for, for women and families. Right. Um, you know, if you, if you're thinking internationally, share love international day spring foundation, um, Tamar center, you know, there's, there's, um, uh, just tons of ministries just doing awesome work around the road and, and NGOs. I mean, both faith-based and not faith-based, you yeah. know? Um, and even so, and even people like you, like man, we could just you know, there's times where you have to renew visas or you know, like need to pay rent. Like we can yeah. 
support people like you directly as well. I'm 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 here full time as a volunteer. I don't get any money from the work that I do here. Um, you know, and I'm thankful uh, for people that are just generous for me to do this. They believe in the work that I do. Um, you know, the fact that I gave up my life back in America, being super comfortable and stuff and being yeah. here and being in the thick of it. And so, yeah, if you, again, you know, you can reach out to those, if you know, other orgs, uh, if you want to support me personally, you can, I'll put um, your link you can, in the notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can look me up on every social media, just look up drummer for Ja, the number four, um, you know, and connect if, and talk like, let's, let's, you know, I love talking to people about this stuff, like connect with me, yeah. you know, send me some questions. Like I'll answer, you know, I can give you firsthand insight. And if I can't, I have a whole community of people that can. So, you know, again, it, it comes down to education, educate yourself and put the time and, and effort into learn and to know about what's going on. Right. Don't just rely on hashtags and blurbs and little, you know, captions on a video or a picture on Facebook. Right. Alex, man, it was a pleasure, bro. Um, thank you for taking the time out. Um, maybe get some rest tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, here's the song he was talking about. Um, so, Alex, like I said, man, I appreciate your time. Um, I love I love this conversation. Um, I feel we can continue this conversation. Um, and, uh, you know... I would encourage my listeners to reach out to Alex, man, just see how, how you can help, help the work that he's doing, support him. Um, like he said, man, he gave up. He basically, that's what I respect. It's like, you don't, you didn't go there with the intent on just, oh, I'm going to spend X amount of time here and I'm coming back. You literally planted yourself there to do this work. So that's, uh, that's just all props and respect to you, bro. You're, you're, uh, you're, uh, some, someone to, you know, look up to and encourage. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, but yeah, props <laughs> to you, Alex, man. Yeah, man, thank you again, appreciate it. The Iliad is dead, the Odyssey is over. Found God within me, started searching for Jehovah. What you searching for? Where you focus at? If it's happiness, no one can give you that. It flows from within. It knows all your sins. You can never win. Being envious of other men. Covetousness is such a sin. Wanting what other people have has become a trend. But don't bow down to the dollar bill, y'all. Commercial consumerism is trying to kill y'all. I'm trying to heal y'all.